You are listening to Grab Them by the Pod, a member of the Ace Podcast Network. Welcome back to Grab Them by the Pod. Kevin and Jesse here with you today, and we have somewhat of a subdued topic to talk about to lead us off today. And I'm sure most of you are aware of what has happened in the last four or five days in our country on the continued topic of uh, racial justice and racial equality. Racism in America is alive and well. So, Jesse, take it away. Yeah, we always start these podcasts off acting like, you know, the sky is falling, like it's the end of the world, like Trump's going to cause an apocalypse. And, you know, I guess maybe some of that is true to a certain degree. But um, what we have to talk about today, I mean, it's the stuff that hits home. It's real. It happened. I lived in D.C. for 10 years. This is only like an hour away or so, an hour and a half away. Um, in Charlottesville, uh, white nationalists held their Unite the Right rally, if you want to call it a rally, uh, at the University of Virginia. Uh, it basically looked like a Hitler Youth rally, uh, a bunch of a-holes marching around with tiki torches, chanting things like, you know, blood and soil, you will not replace us, Jews will not replace us, which you can be white and Jewish, so it's it, it's hard sometimes when you have the, uh, the white nationalists. So Friday night, Saturday, you know, these guys are running into each other, they're screaming white lives matter, black lives matter, there's pushing, there's shoving, there's mace, there's chaos, um, things are being broken up a little bit. There are uh, racist flags, Nazi flags, clubs, shields, some guns. Um, it, it was just kind of a mess. Um, the next day on Saturday, people showed up. Uh, it was supposed to be at 12, but people got there earlier, of course, because uh, who doesn't like a good Saturday morning uh, riot? Uh, the crazy part for me was, I mean, the crazier part, because dude, this was all insane to begin with, was when like three dozen militia nutcases arrive in fatigues and semi-automatic ref weapons. I mean, we don't talk about gun rights one way or the other that much in this podcast, but there's no need for dudes to be walking through a college campus, basically, with semi-automatic re weapons. That's just nuts. Right. And when we talk about gun control, it's usually about reasonable gun control. And this is an example of where reasonable gun control is necessary. Because we see as people's emotions are heightened that in this situation, it quickly escalated into something that need not have happened. Yeah. And while it did not, the, the ultimate event did not end with, you know, a hail of bullets, the idea that the threat was there, that it could have, you know, the fact that it turned violent, you know, this is why we need that responsible gun control. You know, whether it's fair or not, when I think of people who call themselves a militia. I think of like uh, Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols in Oklahoma City, you know, the Michigan, was it the Michigan militia is out there in, you know, these guys who don't trust the government and Ruby Ridge stuff. So they got to defend themselves. Yeah. He said, luckily that stuff didn't necessarily play a part, but I, I found it disturbing um, nonetheless. So uh, at one point, the counter-protesters tried to block the net white nationalists. So the nationalists came at them uh, swinging their clubs, going crazy. Uh, Governor Terry McAuliffe, uh, who also actually I did vote for when I was still living down there because um, he was going against, I think, Ken Cuccinelli, where pff, wasn't even a question uh, in that election. Uh, declared, declared a state of emergency, um, declared that it was an unlawful assembly. Uh, but things went from bad to worse. 
while this was all going on, uh, a car driven by someone by the name of James Alex Fields plowed right through a group of pedestrians. Uh, I saw a video of it, and it, it was no stopping. He went flying in, then went flying in reverse back out, killed one person, um, Heather, I think it's Heather Hare is how you would say her name, uh, and injured 19 other people. Uh, and to make matters worse, one of the state police helicopters monitoring the rally crashed and killed two state troopers. I mean, this stupid rally by these Nazi white nationalists ended up with three people being dead, multiple people being injured uh, because of their hate, I would say. And much like many incidents of mass violence that we've had in the past 15 years or so, it always, it never fails that when asked afterwards, the people who knew the person accused of committing these acts of violence, the people that knew them say, well, I never believed he was capable of this. It didn't seem like something he would do. Or I wasn't aware that he was involved in this type he of was quiet. He was nice. organization. Quiet. He was nice. The mother of James Fields uh, was interviewed and said that, well, she didn't realized that this was going to be that type of rally. She she said that her son had told her that, you know, he was going to a Trump rally, but uh, his mother was quoted as saying, but Trump's not a, a racist or Trump's not a white supremacist. Well, some of his actions post the events that happened in Charlottesville would seem to suggest otherwise, but we'll get to that later. James Fields, according to an NPR report by WVXU member station reporter Bill Reinhart, uh, that he, Fields' high school history teacher, Derek Weimer, accounted that Fields was an intelligent but quiet young man, but was deeply into Adolf Hitler and white supremacy from you know his time in high school. He did research papers on uh, the, the Third Reich and, and Hitler and white supremacy. And as his teacher, Reinhardt is quoted as saying he tried to steer him away from that. But there's only so much you can do. And now... Reinhardt feels as if, you know, he should have done more and that he failed as a teacher for not being able to steer him away from that. Myself being a teacher, you know, I, I empathized with this because not that I've had any white supremacists necessarily in my time teaching, but, you know, I've had people who have asked some questions or seem to uh, side with some of the more controversial figures in history. And you really do try to give them facts because you don't want to make their minds up for them. But at the same time, you don't want them to be on the wrong side of history. And if you care about them as a teacher, you really do try to steer them. And unfortunately, you can't steer everybody the right way. And what was the cause of all of this? It was because they wanted to remove a statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee. Uh, what, are you, before we get to, what are your thoughts on removing uh, these kind of statues? Well, that's a good question, Jesse. And, you know, it, it comes up from time to time. I've had this argument uh, with other people and, and perhaps with you at some point. You know, statues honor not just represent history. And yes, these Confederate leaders are part of our history and let's teach about them. They belong in a textbook. They belong in museums. We should not forget what they have done to be a part of the history of this nation as a whole. But they are historic for standing up for slavery. And as such, they should not be honored for trying to uphold something so egregious. People like to point out that uh, all this does is erase history. You said you're not erasing anything. It's in museums. 
uh, it's in textbooks. It's in lot, you know, regular books, you know, uh, nonfiction. Anything you go, you can read about these these guys. Doesn't mean we have to honor them. Um, I've actually read, I wouldn't say a lot, but I've I've deep dived time to time on uh, whether people consider Robert E. Lee a traitor. Um, some people say, you know, he was standing up for state, which was stronger back then than the country. I, I, I fall in the camp that he may have not been a horrible person, but he was still a traitor. Um, but he was standing for what he believes in, but whatever. Um, it's also worth saying that it's not like these things were erected like in 1867 or something like that. Uh, a lot of these things didn't come up to the early 20th century uh, when they had a lot of the Jim Crow laws. I mean, they're basically trying to subjugate a lot of the minorities in the area and make them feel like crap. Uh, so it's, it's not like these things are from the time period. They were put up there – I know 100 years ago is, doesn't necessarily seem modern, um, but you know it's not like we're taking down the Parthenon or something like that. Again, they were erected years after the Civil War ended. Enough time for people to have thought out logically and reasoned that if we do put up statues in the public square that honor these men who fought to keep enslaved the African-Americans of the 19th century, that this would threaten and scare people, African-Americans, away from trying to participate rightfully in the, the civic enterprise of their country. And in many cases, it worked. You know, and this is why they need to be taken down. I'm not from the South. We're not from the South. So I really don't understand the holding on to the whole Confederacy thing. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's a part of our history. Um, you know, I look at slavery as being part of our history too, but not necessarily something I want to hold on to. Um, I know the, they'll they'll claim it's more than just uh, slavery, but you know, when you're picking your battles, if someone takes down a statue of of General Lee, I mean, come on, we'll, we'll give you the car on Dukes of Hazards. You can have that, but uh, it's not worth all this fight. Um, some of the questions arose after this: What responsibility um, does Donald Trump have? Does he have any? Uh, we'll get into that in a second. Uh, following everything that happened, or kind of during it, uh, Trump um, put out some, inf- you know, a, a note on what he was thinking. On uh, well, I don't think it was through Twitter; it was just a, a small press conference. Uh, but before he did that, everybody and their mom put out a, a tweet. Uh, Orrin Hatch tweeted them. You know, his his brother didn't die fighting Hitler, so this stuff could still go on. Paul Ryan denounced white nationalists and, and Nazis. Marco Rubio, I mean, take, like, everybody on the right was doing this. Um, what came out of Trump was, we condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence on many sides. And people were up in arms about this because it wasn't many sides. It was the white nationalists, um, most within Trump's party, thought he needed to go further, but he just he, he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't take a side. There is a right and a wrong side of history. And these white nationalists that perpetrated this violence are on the wrong side of history. There are not two sides in this. There is what is right and what is wrong. And those who are standing up for what is right, regardless of whatever acts they may have committed, they didn't commit anything other than try to stand up for the constitution, for the rights of all people in this great nation. And that's all that need be said. You know, yeah. when when your beliefs are that wrong, you don't have a leg to stand on. You know, it could be could have been 
uh, black folks marching against Hispanics. Could have been Asian people marching against you know white people. It, it's not it's not the color of the skin of the people who are marching. It's the message they're putting out there, and it was a message of hate. So it shouldn't it shouldn't matter that you know I know Trump, you're white, so maybe you you have to you know back one side. I, I'm not, I don't want to say that's what he was thinking, but um, the the message was hatred, and there should be no. And again, is there anything? easier to denounce in the entire world, especially for an American, than Nazis. I mean, that's like the one thing everybody other than Nazis should be able to easily get behind. And, and he, he just couldn't, I mean, Jeff Sessions went further than his boss on Monday morning saying, this meets the definition of domestic terrorism under American law. And yet still, at that point, Trump wouldn't say anything else. It really is unfathomable. And I know we continue to say this month after month, week after week of Trump being the president of the United States. But where does it end? And this clearly speaks directly to the man's character. That he would choose to, you know, not disappoint his supporting base rather than to stand up for what is right. He, He bashes so many people, so many entities so quickly and we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. Um, but it took him time. So then finally Monday afternoon, he had a quick you know, five-minute press conference or so. He said, racism is evil. All those who cause violence in its name are criminals and thugs, including the KKK, neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and other hate groups that are repugnant to everyone and everything we hold dear as Americans. Now, if he had said this on Saturday or Sunday, I mean, it would have been a different story. Uh, at this point, people were wondering – uh, if it was too late, uh, did you think at this point, was it too late? Absolutely. The fact that he couldn't read that or, or speak that from the heart in the moment, the way that so many previous presidents have been able to do. And there have been some who are better than others at doing that. And I know we're coming off of, you know, eight years of a presidency where he was able to eloquently put those words, you know, uh, into play, but yes, it is too little too late. And the fact that you didn't have that coming from the heart, that it had to be read from a statement, bothers me as well. So at that point, we're like, all right, we all have our own thoughts about Trump, um, but we'll move forward together, get together. No, no, it was not meant to be. Tuesday afternoon, Trump had, what I can only say, an insane back and forth with the press. Um, you know, he talked a little bit about the economy. You had during this entire exchange, you had Stephen Mnuchin and Elaine Chow, who, by the way, is uh, Mrs. Mitch McConnell, standing behind him like with blank stares and like goofy smiles because they they could obviously see this was insane. Um, so they asked him, you know, why didn't you come in immediately? And Trump said, unlike most politicians, he wanted to wait and make sure that what he said was correct because before he makes a statement, he needs to know the facts. He doesn't want to rush into the, just any statement. This is Donald Trump. He shoots from the, the hip on everything he tweets, whether it's true or not. Collective sigh, groan, gasp, you know, <laughs> this again, I mean, we should not be surprised. It's the way the man operates. He doesn't wouldn't know truth if it hit him in the face. It's it's laughable. I mean, it's it may have been the most ridiculous thing that Donald Trump has ever said, and that's saying something because um, that's all he does. He said, "If the press, here's a quote: If the press were not fake news and were honest, the press would have said that what I said was very nice." So again, you know, they wanted his butt to be kissed. Uh, my initial statement was great. You should have, if you weren't fake, you would have said it was wonderful. Yes, strong command of the English language. What I yeah. said was very nice. 
You know, we know we've had this problem on the podcast in the past. I've had to constantly re-record parts because I'm reading his tweets and having trouble thinking I'm screwing up when I only realize no, it's just the way he's phrasing things and writing things. Um, I I don't think he came out and goes, I didn't know David Duke was there. It's funny, everybody else in the world knew David Duke was there. Um, everybody else knew that the the white nationalists and the Nazis or whatever group he's behind were praising Trump for not calling them out. Exactly. And David Duke knew very well that Donald Trump supports his cause because he said we're just standing up for Donald Trump and his agenda. Remember he wouldn't he wouldn't announce him, I think, during the election. He's like, you know, um, I, I like people who, who support me. You know, I'm not going to say anything. Uh, they asked him if this was a case of terrorism. And again, his, his response was very bizarre. He goes, you could call it terrorism. You could call it murder. You can call it whatever you want. I would just call it as the fastest one to come up with a good verdict. Like, what? I, I think he's trying to say that I, I, I just want this to like be resolved and go to jail quickly or something. I don't know. But again, he goes, you can call it terrorism. You can call it murder. But we want you to call it that, Mr. President. Right. He has completely given up the moral authority of the office of the president of the United States. You know, we we need to be able to look to that singular leader of this country in these times, these challenging times when these events happen, as we've been able to with previous presidents. And know that that person in that office is standing up for what is right. And we can't say that here. And of course, Steve Bannon's name comes up all the time because you know, he was in charge of Breitbart. Uh, they're you know, one of the largest factions on the alt-right. Um, he had to say, you know, Steve Bannon isn't a racist. He's he's actually a good guy. I think he's, he gets treated unfairly. If you have to, It's much like the woman, was it Christy O'Donnell, the one who was running and she, they said she was a witch, and she had to come out and say, I'm not a witch. If you have to say it, it's too late for you. If you have to say, I'm not a racist or he's not a racist, you probably aren't in a good spot. You know, it's been my experience in life that if you have to tell people that you're not something, that probably means you are. Yeah, I mean, I'm constantly telling people, like, no, I am not a player. I'm not a sexy beast. But, you know, what can you do? <laughs> no, uh, Trump, he also was all fired about the, you know, we always hear about the alt-right, the alt-left, and, you know, the, the Antifa, the anti-fascists. Um, Trump, again, Trump puts the blame on both sides uh, when people just want him to admit, just say that the white nationalists are wrong. Just say, but he can't. Uh, and, he, and he claims, you know, I watch Charlottesville much more closely than anyone else, much more closely than you, talking to the, the press, which, that's insane. Uh, there's blame on both sides. And yeah, you could say that, yes, some of the counter-protesters got violent, but again, it's, it's when there are Nazis marching through your town, like, yeah, it's going to lead to violence. I mean, it's hatred. Now, we've, we've talked about how, uh, you know, the Antifa folks, yes, it sometimes leads to escalating uh, tensions and violence, and we don't condone that. Uh, but you can't – if you put them on a scale, they're not equal. Uh, what is Nazis? I mean, how many times do I have to say this? You know, I don't know if you had a chance to see Jimmy Kimmel's uh, response to Trump's words yesterday. Was it Kimmel or Fallon? Was it Kimmel? Uh, it was Kimmel, actually. Okay. And maybe Fallon had some as well. But, yes. but Kimmel kind of put it well, and I'm paraphrasing here. But basically he said, you know, you cannot have a fine person at a Nazi rally. You know, if you are <laughs> at a Nazi rally, a white supremacist rally, whatever you want to call it, and you realize that's where you are and you don't leave, you are not a fine, upstanding individual. 
I would agree with that. I would say yes. Uh, nobody just accidentally wanders into a Nazi rally, a white nationalist rally. And, and remember a couple of months ago uh, when they were talking about Russia and Putin and Trump was like, oh, what, you think we're so innocent? You know, we, you think, basically, you, we think, you think we don't kill people or do bad things? He did the same thing again. Like, you know, oh, get rid of Robert E. Would you get rid of George Washington? He was a slave owner, you know? It's like, oh, God, like – that's not the right path to be taking. Yes, we all know that George Washington was a slave owner, um, but he didn't – as bad as that was, you know, it was a different time, and he didn't actually stand up and try to secede from the union. Right, and, and they keep mentioning those on and from the alt-right, and I hate that term. Let's call a spade a spade. They're white supremacists, white nationalists. Mm -hmm. Alt-right is not a thing. It's, it's white supremacist belief. When they say that it is a slippery slope, they believe that we're going to go on this downward spiral of removing all of our history and – you know, the government's going to come to get you, whatever. It's not the case. Yes, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, many of these founding fathers were slave owners, and that is reprehensible. But we honor them because some of the other things that they did were what built this country into what it has become and has provided people with the rights that they have across all faiths, colors, creeds, nationalities. So while, yes, they had those things that we certainly do not champion, and, and in recent years, especially guys like Jefferson have taken heat for this, but the other part of them did something to establish this country and pro to provide us with the rights and, and the beauty that this country is. What have those Confederate generals done? By the way, when it comes to our history, you know, I, I was, I'm not excusing anything, but I actually looked at, you know, it's not like slavery was uh, special for just America. You know, I, I happened to look up in Sweden – you know, we think of them being very progressive. Uh, we, we've known a few Swedes in our time. They had slavery until like 1850 or something. It's not like, you know, we're, we're these weirdos in the United States, these horrible people. It's it's a horrible practice, and it was around the world. It's still happening in places around the world. Um, horrible. But as, you know, as time moved on and uh, and we grew as a, as a species, we realized, guess what? That's very, very wrong. Um, so that's why I think it's hard. You don't want to say that you want to judge people of the past for living in the times, but you know, I, I look at things with a sliding scale to a certain degree. Correct. And slavery has existed since the dawn of time, right? Yeah. You mentioned Sweden. Brazil had slavery. Let my people go. Brazil had slavery into the 1880s. Uh, you know, the ancient African civilizations traded slaves within themselves and then to the, the Arab nations in the Middle East after that. Uh, what is makes American slavery the worst is that it hits at what is still a problem in our country of the haves and the have nots. It's mm. economic slavery, you know, that people, white slave owners were making money off of the labor of slaves. Right. Mm. It's more than just, you know, the spoils of war. And, and we take, you know, the, the losing side of slaves as some of the previous, you know, slavery in history has gone. It was economic slavery, and it is still the root of one of the biggest divides in our country now. So as this press conference ended, uh, Trump felt the need to tell, does anybody know I have a house in Charlotte? And someone goes, oh, where is it? He goes, it's in Charlotte. You'll see. Like, what? Well, this is one of your – Is it in Charlotte or Charlottesville? Yeah, Char he said Charlottesville. I'm sorry. Because, like, you'll see. It's like one of those things when, you know, I have a plan to destroy ISIS. What is it? You'll see. Like, this isn't that question. And then he starts talking about how he's one of the, he owns one of the largest wineries in the country, which is in Charlottesville. It's like, all right, stop bragging. How um, – like, this person huh. – <laughs> I, I mean, I heard about this too. And, you know, all I could think of is this, this man has absolutely zero shame that in the midst 
of this terrible, tragic event that has happened that ha has continued to drive a divide in our country. All he can do is give a shameless plug for his winery. Yeah, you get a drink from Trump Vineyards? I don't think so. Uh, um, so this is, all, this is all, I mean, yes, this uh, latest statement was uh, Tuesday afternoon, but uh, come Monday morning, we thought we were past it, for lack of a better term. Uh, early in the morning, Trump jumps right on the fake news bandwagon, and, and uh, you know, af hours after he said, you know, we have to come together and screw hatred, he said, you know, I realized once again the fake news media will never be satisfied, and he called them bad people. So again, he has no problem going on and saying the, the media is horrible, the disgusting, but yet he can't, he can't do that about white nationalists and Nazis. I don't know why we're so surprised. I think we say this every episode, but it's very telling of his presidency and his, him as a person. Yeah, but there were some good people in the crowd in yeah, Charleston. Yeah, some good people. Uh, and then he started tweeting out. He tweeted out something about the murders and violence in Chicago. It turns out the guy who was retweeting was a right-wing activist, big in the alt-right. He was behind the the rumor that that DNC killed Seth Rich. Um, he was very vocal about the PizzaGate scandal, which led to some dude shooting. You know, and lucky he didn't kill anybody uh, in a DC restaurant. And these are the kind of people. And he must get tweeted a billion things a day. How does he choose which one of these ones he retweets? Doesn't somebody, doesn't Dan Scavino, the head of social media, do a better research and make sure maybe we find out that this person isn't a psycho before we retweet this? Well, it goes to show the, the quality of advisors that he has in the White House. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I always hear the joke that Dan Scavino was his caddy. I don't know if that was actually true or not if he just gave him the job. Because then he actually tweeted out, it was deleted soon afterwards, but he tweeted a cartoon of a train, you know, it said Trump train on it, running over somebody with a CNN logo on their face. Uh, I know it was deleted right away, but guess what? You just announced somebody got smashed by a car the day before, and now, again, like, he just can't help himself. He has such bad judgment. He has no sense of what's appropriate, and it's... In the grand scheme of things, you could say it's not a huge deal, but when it's compounded with everything else that's going on, it's like, what? WTF? Well, and does this speak to his mental capacity and ability to be president? You know, Section 4 of the 25th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution allows the vice president and the majority of the president's cabinet to recommend removal of a president if they are unable to discharge the powers and duties of the office and then can be uh, removed with the House and Senate approving with a two-thirds vote. Like, does this need to happen? They won't do it. Pence stands with Trump, unfortunately. Um, so then after all this nonsense happened, um, presidents and CEOs who were on some of his advisory panels, like the heads of Merck, uh, Under Armour, uh, Intel, the Alliance for American Manufacturing, they resigned from his advisory board, uh, and Trump blasted them. For every CEO that drops out of my manufacturing council, I'll have many good ones to take their place. Grant Sanders should not have uh, gone on jobs, blah, 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 blah. Um, then he starts figuring out the guy who's head of Merck uh, Pharma, Ken Frazier, and says, you know, now that he's resigned, uh, he will have more time to lower rip off drug prices. Like he's just attacking these guys who he thought were cool to be on his council until they quit and suddenly they're a bunch of jerks. Well, see, uh, I would I would seem to trust the council more than the president of the United States. And I, I think that's probably a given at this point. But I actually have here just the statement that was released by the council in the wake of all this. Bring it and out. it goes, and I quote, intolerance, racism and violence have absolutely no place in this country and are an affront to core American values. We believe the debate over foreign participation has become a distraction from our well-intentioned and sincere desire to aid vital policy discussions 
on how to improve the lives of everyday Americans. As such, the president and we are disbanding the forum. They can call it out. They can call it for what it is, and our president can't. I think Trump looks at this, though, like, you know, he's dissolving it. He's doing it. You can't quit. You're fired. I don't need you guys anymore. It's, you know, it was a nice idea that maybe some of these these leaders who may have some more progressive ideas could maybe help shape his policy. Uh, but it, it became very evident uh, right away that it just wasn't going to happen. We saw a lot of people drop off very quickly. Um, some of the people who were still around were getting a lot of crap. Um, it's, it's it's just kind of sad. Although I, I saw somebody calling for – they're going after Campbell's because the head of Campbell's hadn't left yet. It's like, yeah, come on, leave, leave soup alone. Um it's it's just very bizarre the way he handles these things, and I'm glad that uh, these people stood up for what they believe in. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But it brings to mind the danger that is a president who will not be advised by anyone. You know, he, he doesn't take the advice of anybody. And as you said, these would have been more moderate voices, you know, kind of putting the bug in his ear of what would be good for this country and our economy. And he, here's another set of people who are being shown the door or, you know, of their own accord are leaving. Who is he? Word, word is that John Kelly isn't reigning in Trump. He's reigning in everybody else. You need someone to reign in Trump. You need someone with, excuse me, but lack of a better term, someone with the balls to stand up to him. Nobody that, can reign in Trump, Jesse. The only thing that can reign in Donald Trump is the Constitution. Yeah. And you need – you need Congress to agree with that too, right? Uh, and that's unfortunately right now the problem. That's what 2018 is so important, uh, at least you know to people like you and me. Um, so the, the last thing about Trump for the moment I want to talk about is him attacking Amazon. Uh, he also tweeted out uh, either today or yesterday, um, Amazon is doing great damage to taxpaying retailers. Town, cities, and states throughout the U.S. are being hurt. Many jobs being lost. He's basically pissed off because Amazon is owned by Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post, which obviously has not been kind to Trump, although they have been – I think a fantastic resource in the last six months. I mean, it's between the, it's, 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 to me, it's brought back journalism between the New York Times and the Washington Post competing with each other to get the, the best information out there. It's been fantastic. It's like reverse but, yellow journalism. They're actually, yeah. you know, writing factual information to, you know, offset a president. Well, it's like when you're in, in a sports, when you have uh, two people who are right, it's like, you know, Magic and Larry, you know, they made each other better because they wanted to, you know, one up each other and stuff. Um, it's, it's amazing, though, that you can have a president. And to be honest, I'm going to be fair. I had problems with Obama talking trash about Bain back in the day, too, um, when Amazon has done nothing wrong and he's just pissed off with them. And he's he's bashing him. I mean, I think it's not right for the president to be attacking an American company just because of some personal vendetta against them. And you make a good point about President Obama and Bain Capital. So, again, you know, trying to be impartial here, presidents from all parties uh, have been known to do this. And it's wrong regardless of who you are. And, and I wouldn't say that Obama's was a personal thing. Um, but, you know, again, I, I was very big on you may not like what they're doing, but they haven't done anything illegal. How can you bash them? That, that's always my problem. Um, not that I'm wanting to always support big business, but, you know, it's a, you know, it's a tight rope, I think. Uh, we we, we, we want to walk. So so we'll see going forward. So on to some of the foreign affairs of the last uh, week or so, um, we have more Russian scandal stuff to talk about. Uh, according to emails that were reviewed by the Washington Post, now, can, let me see if I can get this name right. It's very, I would say it's a very Greek name, right? George Papadopoulos? The, the dad from Webster? 
Remember oh, that show? Just, you know, I remember Webster. Alex Harris played the character George Papadopoulos. What was it? What was it? Emmanuel? Uh, Emmanuel was, Lewis. Emmanuel Lewis, yes. Um, well, so George Papadopoulos um, was a junior member of Trump's campaign foreign policy team, um, and he made uh, more than half a dozen attempts to connect Trump with the Russian government. Uh, he repeatedly sent messages to higher-ups in the Trump campaign uh, from March, September 2016, offering to arrange meeting uh, meetings with Russian leadership, including Putin. Um, Papadopoulos reportedly sent Trump campaign officials an email from the Kremlin, from a Kremlin official, indicating that Russia, you know, they'd be receptive to a meeting with Trump. Um, I think it's that Putin wants to host the Trump team when the time is right, uh, said Papadopoulos. And to be fair, um, I, I can't say Papadopoulos anymore. To be fair, um, the campaign co-chairman Sam Clovis was in alarm, but saying this kind of seems a little shady. Uh, another Trump advisor back then, Rear Admiral, which I love saying Rear Admiral too, uh, Charles Kubik, uh, cited legal concerns. So it's you know, I, I clap, clap the hands, you guys. Maybe saw this coming, but still, while it doesn't show direct collusion, it's just another tie between Russia and Trump. I mean. How much smoke does there have to be? Yeah, I was just going to say, what's that saying? Where there's smoke, there's... Um, fireworks? I don't know. <laughs> it just, it's, it seems bizarre. Again, it's, there have been worse Russian scandals, but like, how many do we need? It, it just seems ridiculous. Yeah, how much proof is enough proof for Congress to take action? Well, again, let's see how the 2018... Uh, Midterm elections go, then we'll talk. Um, the the big thing, though, you know, Russia was small potatoes this week. The big thing, of course, was North Korea. Last week we mentioned how North Korea uh, can now reportedly stick a nuke on a missile that can reach the U.S., and the Trump responded that uh, they'll be met with fire and fury like the world has never seen, which, you know, did not sound like a great response. Wait a minute. We, we've actually seen that <laughs> fire and fury. It's called Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So ask Japan mm. what they think of it. And secondly, what we've learned from that is that we don't want to use those. Although, you know, interestingly enough, um, I was listening to a history podcast that said that uh, they called it um, logical insanity that the use of the nuclear bombs actually saved more lives than if they continued to like firebomb the cities. And it seems horrible, but the argument can be made that it actually ended up with less people being dead. Right, and as a, as a high school history teacher, I use that argument often when we're teaching World War II and, and have the kids debate that of, you know, whether or not the use of the nuclear bombs, you know, was actually better than having the war continue and, and more deaths for both America and Japan. So, you know, that question can be debated. But one thing's for sure, yeah. the use of those two atomic weapons certainly was devastating more so than the world has ever seen. And, you know, the whole goal is what's it called? Mutually assured destruction, right? Yeah. If I have them, you have them. We can both kill each other. So let's not use them. And you know, that's what worked in the 80s because despite our differences with Russia, you could call them sane. You know, they didn't want to get blown out of the and back into the Stone Age. Uh, the same cannot be said about the leadership of North Korea, whether it was Kim Jong-il or Kim Jong-un. And uh, that's where it worries us. Now, I loved after these comments were made by Trump, Sebastian Gorka, who is – He's a character. Um, he, he, I think he would have fit in well in Charlottesville over the weekend. Um, he said that anyone who the president was referring to nukes in his statement about about uh, fire and fury was irresponsible. Well, no. When I when I think about a nuclear crisis and someone says they're going to be met with fire and fury, I think they're bombing them with nukes. But um, Trump didn't think that his statement went went you know strong enough. And when asked what he meant, he said, you, you know, you'll see, you'll see. No, this is not good. Well, the advisors, again, as I've said before, 
it, it shows and speaks to the quality of the the advisory uh, folks that are in the White House. Now, Gorka, just to give some background for those that may not be familiar, is a former editor for Breitbart. He's a, a good friend of Steve Bannon. Uh, as an advisor to the president, he is a member of the White House Strategic Initiatives Group, you know, undertaking some of these you know, policy initiatives that the president has spoken on that have been controversial. He has a PhD in political science from Corvinus University in Budapest, Hungary, and has made a living as a national security expert focusing on Islamic extremism and wrote the best-selling book titled Defeating Jihad, the Winnable War. He's also got a ridiculous accent, too. Hello. And, and a goatee that, like, eats up his face. I don't like it. Yeah. Oh, hello, and how are you doing? President Trump, I, can, I can't do it. So um, when all, after this all happens, Kim Jong-un then threatened to fire missiles towards Guam, which, of course, is a U.S. territory in the Pacific, which, you know, made the administration freak out. And then China announced that they would remain neutral if North Korea attacked first, then we attacked them. But if we preemptively st- struck, striked um, uh, North Korea, then they would be on North Korea's side, which we don't want a war with China. That's that's not good. And understandably so. How could we expect them not to be on North Korea's side if we were the aggressor? North Korea has been, or I should say China has been North Korea's only ally in the last 50 years. Yes. And if we were to attack them first, well, what should we expect but for China to jump in in their defense? But it is at least, uh, you know, it's it makes me feel a little bit better that if we are attacked, that China at least won't jump in and support North Korea. Well, you think maybe if we were attacked, they could join our side, but, you know, it's China will take what we can get. And South Korea was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If something goes down on the Korean Peninsula, it's up to us. Because, uh, you know, again, if, if this stuff were to go down, North Korea is screwed. South Korea is screwed. Japan is probably screwed. Part of China could be screwed. Like it's There's a lot of stuff there that's, that's you know, I mean, Russia will be okay. I guess you got Siberia up there. There's nothing but tigers and, and ice. But uh, it, it would really be a mess. And um Eventually, with I mean, China said pump the brakes. Kim Jong Un eventually pumped the brakes and just went back to his usual rhetoric of uh, we're gonna wait and see what those foolish Yankees do next. Um, so of course Trump's calling this a big win. You know, I got him to back down. I got him to bend the knee. Um, he also tweeted out this morning that uh, Kim Jong Un made a wise and well reasoned decision, and the alternative would have been catastrophic and unacceptable. Well, if something is catastrophic, I would just assume it's also unacceptable. That's just me personally. So. Yeah, you know, and, and certainly the threats to Guam, hopefully the president yeah, can use some reason here and and not just jump off into the deep end, because the threat to Guam has always been there. All right. And according to uh, Guamanian governor Eddie Calvo, the island has been threatened several times by Yongyang since 2013. So this is not anything new. They've, they've always been or at least for a while have been on high alert from an attack by North Korea. And, you know, so let's not act foolishly uh, in this situation. The upside is, though, it got me to re-watch the movie The Interview with Seth Rogen and James Franco. I remember I really did enjoy the movie. It was funny. They hate us because they ain't us? They ain't us? <laughs> they hate us because they ain't us. All right. Um, on to some, I don't want to say uplifting stories, but it's it's not quite as heavy as we've been talking about. It's, it's the normal nonsense we talk on the show. Um, Trump versus McConnell. So Trump has been attacking Mitch McConnell, who, by the way, is 
his, his wife, as we just said, was in his cabinet. And Mitch McConnell's the majority leader in his own party. What is going on here? Uh, he's pissed off about this whole health care issue. Uh, he said, after seven years of hearing repeal and replace, why isn't it done, Mitch? Can you believe Mitch McConnell, who screamed to repeal and replace for seven years, couldn't get it done? Mitch, get back to work and repeal and replace. Tax cuts and reform. The great infrastructure bill I want on all my desk for signing. You can do it. Why is he going after McConnell? Is he trying to like bully him into resigning? Is he just an idiot? What's that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You've answered your own questions there. Well, yeah. first of all, the answer to why it has not been and McConnell has been unsuccessful in his attempt to repeal the Affordable Care Act is that it's much easier to be the party of no than to be the party that governs. So no kidding. They were able to say for seven years that this is terrible. We want to get rid of it. But when it comes down to actually governing and trying to replace it, they can't get it done. And it just shows this entire uh, transaction here shows that Trump is out of touch and ignorant with how Congress works. He wanted this stuff on his desk on day one, which is actually impossible. Like Congress has to meet and do things first for everybody. He, he doesn't get it. He, he wants what he wants. He doesn't understand how things work. And he's willing to throw his allies. We know this from what's happened in the past six months. Allies under the bus uh, to get it. Although I think – I think Mitch McConnell has more fortitude than Trump. I think he'll just take it. Uh, you know, he's like a turtle. He'll just go into his shell and just take it for the next three and a half years. And then hopefully, you know, for him, hopefully still be around and, and Trump will be gone. But uh, who knows what to expect? I mean, nobody is safe. He was calling out yesterday uh, McCain again, who we called a hero a couple weeks ago. It's no Republican, no Democrat, no politician, no American citizen is uh, safe from the wrath of the president of the United States. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. The other thing that happened yesterday was uh, the Alabama special primary election for the Senate. Um, it's is replacing our boy Jeff Beauregard Sessions. Uh, now that he, I mean, for the moment, is uh, head of the DOJ as Attorney General, gonna fill his Senate seat. Uh, it had been currently temporarily been uh, held by Senator Strange, which to me, you know, sounds like it's that a Harry uh, Potter character. Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. So uh, there was no GOP candidate who received more than fifty percent. So there's gonna be a runoff. This is kind of like the John Ossoff thing uh, from a couple of months ago. Uh, so the two vote getters for the GOP were ex uh, state Supreme Court Justice Roy Moore, uh, and then second place was the previously mentioned appointed Senator uh, Luther Strange, who is backed by Trump. Trump tweets has tweeted out in the last couple of days to support a lot, uh, and he's also backed by Mitch McConnell's super PAC, uh, and he finished second. So if he does not win, not only is he, I, I guess. They both have name recognition because the other guy uh, was Supreme Court justice. But the guy is, even though he's appointed a sitting senator, he's backed by the president. He's backed by the majority leader in his pack. If he can't win, it's going to be – to me, that's a blow to, to the the Trump faction of the, of the GOP. Well, to take a step back here for a second, Jesse, let's take a look at both of these candidates. Luther Strange is supported by the president, which, you know, that could be – uh, could hurt him for one. But for two, Roy Moore. Let, let's take a step back in time here a little bit to remind you who Roy Moore is. Roy Moore, or you may remember him as the Ten Commandments judge from down there yeah. in Alabama because he refused to have a statue of the Ten Commandments removed from the Alabama Judicial Building. Uh, also uh, directed probate judges to enforce Alabama's state ban on same-sex marriage even after it was overturned by the United States Supreme Court. Okay, and was kind of forced out this past April. He resigned in April 2017. And recently, while on the campaign trail, uh, Justice Moore, uh, according to an article on PolitiFact by Lewis Jacobson, 
Uh, Justice Moore, in speaking with uh, uh, a reporter from Vox and some members of a pro-gun group called Bama Carry Incorporated, said that there are communities under Sharia law right up in our country, up in Illinois. And when he was pressed by the reporter to name the community specifically, he responded with, well, there's Sharia law, as I understand it, in Illinois, Indiana, up there. I don't know. <laughs> So I'm not so sure which one of these guys would be uh, better or worse for the, the people of Alabama. And it's also worth noting the person who appointed Luther Strange um, is now their disgraced ex-governor, Robert Bentley. So I don't want to uh, push away our Alabama fans, but come on, guys, get your act together. Um, for the Dems, it's been 20 years since uh, Democrats held the Senate seat. I think it was Richard Shelby who uh, ran as a Democrat and then ended up switching parties to G the GOP. Um, you know, they think – they think there's an outside chance if the, you know, if everything goes exactly the right way and the chips fall correctly, they could win. I'm not holding my breath; it's going to happen. But uh, former U.S. Attorney Doug Jones defeated Robert Kennedy Jr. No, not that Robert Kennedy, and not that Kennedy family. Um, so it's going to be one of those two GOP folks against Doug Jones, and I'm assuming Doug Jones probably won't win. Yeah, man, I guess uh, LBJ was right when he said he lost the South for the next, you know, hundred years. Because with a name like Robert Kennedy Jr. running as a Democrat, how do you not get elected in this country? I don't know, but uh, well, um, somebody tells me the Kennedys aren't exactly welcome in <laughs> in Alabama. You got that right. <laughs> All right, what do you got for us for Kevin's corner tonight? Well, Jesse, there are a few words to describe the feeling of disgust that came over me upon learning of the events in Charlottesville, Virginia, over the weekend. We cannot and will not tolerate these acts of hatred and allow them to continue to erupt within America's borders. To say nothing of civil rights, at the least it is an insult to our veterans of World War II who fought on foreign soil to rid the world of this very threat 75 years ago. Racial hatred, bigotry, and the ultimate threat of genocide are born out of ignorance. Humans are prone to fear what they do not know. When that ignorance festers, it can lead to the irrational fear that one's differences are a threat to be eradicated. This could not be further from the truth. These differences create the fabric of our nation. As we search for an answer to solve the terrible problem of racial hatred, one thing is certain. If we can be taught to hate, we can be taught to love and accept each other for all of our differences. There has never been a better time to invest in the education of our children. Fantastic, Kevin. And... Uh, I take away a lot from that, but I will say I, I want to sing the the cotton, the fabric of our lives. You know. Anyway, I, I, sorry, I have to light up the mood a little bit, but um, could use it. Is, this, I, I I don't want future episodes to be this deep. I don't want the sad stuff happening. I want just normal. I mean, I guess the Trump stuff is dangerous, but I want normal Trump tomfoolery that we can, you know, laugh at and go, oh my God, this is crazy. Um, come on, guys. No more Nazis. No more murders. No more deaths. Uh, it's, let's get back to just hating each other like normal. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, it's been great. Remember, go to our website at grabthembythepod.com. You can find all the links to our to our uh, social media, to our podcasts, uh, to pictures of Kevin, pictures of me, uh, and a little more information about us. And uh, remember that uh, we love you and we hope you love us. All right, Kevin, until next episode, we'll catch you then. Later. <laughs>